0: Someone once said that there are three sorts of people those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and the overwhelming majority who have no idea what is happening. <laughs> well, I think that describes most people at Christmas time. Every year, we make things happen, especially if you're a mum, we make Christmas happen. And then we watch Christmas happen by looking at the nativity plays, listening to the story, singing the Christmas carols we love so much. But in the last analysis, do we really understand what it's all about? Do we really understand what's happening? A minister once went to a wedding. He was invited by a friend, but he was late. And he got there when the reception was in full swing. Everyone was having a wonderful time. But in the corner, there was a young lady who uh, seemed to be on her own. She smiled every time someone went past and acknowledged her. Now, he only knew the friend who'd invited him. And so he asked the friend, who's that young lady over there? Oh, yeah, of course I haven't introduced you, have I? That's the bride. You know, I think Jesus must feel a bit like that on his birthday. Everyone's celebrating, but leaving him on one side. In the passage from Titus chapter 2 that Terry just read to us, we've got a wonderful pattern of how we should really, genuinely celebrate Christmas. And like all good patterns in the scriptures, it falls into three parts. So first of all, let's have a look at what God has done in the past, what God has done in the past. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men has appeared, the grace of God. Now, we use lots of special words, don't we, when we're talking and thinking about what God has done. And one of those words is grace. What does grace mean? Let me try and explain. Supposing you live next door to the most awful neighbor in the world... I hope you don't. Um, He didn't care about how you felt or the rest of the street. His front garden was just full of rubbish. In, In fact, sometimes he would throw his rubbish over the fence into your garden. How would you feel? You'd feel very cross, wouldn't you? Well, supposing on the other side of this neighbor, There was an elderly person who'd just lost his wife. He was living all on his own. And occasionally, when no one was looking, this old man would go into the neighbor's garden with a big black sack, and he would pick up the rubbish, and he would tidy it up. Now, that would be a wonderful thing, wouldn't it? A kind, loving gesture, a gift of kindness and that explains what the word grace means because the grace of god is his loving mercy and kindness given to us who don't deserve it so grace is a gift of love given to someone who doesn't deserve it just given out of love now I don't need to remind you that awful things happen in the world. No doubt you've been listening to the radio and watching the television over the last week. And thinking about those funerals taking place in Connecticut, in Newtown, And maybe you ask why God allows such things to happen, and no one knows the answer to that question. But we do know this. Each one of us has choices. And although there may have been something terribly wrong with the mind of the man who shot the children and some of their teachers, whatever made him do what he did was somewhere along the line part of the sad, twisted result of human sin. So what's God's response to something like that? What does he do about it? Well, you see, he doesn't reach down from heaven and stop us doing selfish, hurtful things to one another. Instead, he comes and shares the pain. He comes and shares the pain. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It was a wonderful story about a teacher who didn't believe in God and he wanted to try to make sure his students didn't believe in God either. And so he asked one of the students to take a piece of chalk and go up to the blackboard and write on the blackboard, God is nowhere. And the student took the chalk and walked up to the blackboard and wrote, God is, but he separated Nowhere, so that instead of reading God is nowhere, it read God is now here. And that, you see, is the message of Christmas. In that tiny baby, God's grace burst upon our sin-darkened world. And his rescue plan to redeem and restore humankind was given form in the flesh of a baby. Okay, that's what God has done in the past. What's he doing now? Verse 12, Paul says that we must say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Self-control. I wonder how much self-control is going to be exercised over the next few days. I wonder how much self-control will be exercised as the boxes of sweets and chocolates are opened and the brandy butter flows generously over the mince pies. (laughs) Self-control. It's not easy at any time, least of all Christmas, to be self-controlled, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. But that is how God wants us to live. So is that the end of the story? There was a famous preacher who, when he was a little boy, used to stand in front of a mirror and say, people, be good. People, be good. Or was it was a simple message, clearly delivered, but not much good. How do we cope? When we don't control ourselves, when we don't live upright and godly lives, how do we cope then? How do we cope when we fail? Well, you see, there's always a balance to be kept in the Christian life, and we find it in Philippians 2:13 and 14. It's a wonderful pair of verses. You know, it's a good idea to try to learn some of these scripture verses off by heart if you can. I found it just recently such a blessing. Philippians 2:13 and 14, Paul tells us, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my absence, but now in my... Uh, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, do you see the balance? On the one hand, we've got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's our part, opening our hearts to the influence of the Holy Spirit. But we must never, ever think that the process of becoming more and more like Jesus is something that depends entirely on our own effort. And that's another one of those peculiar words we use, sanctification. What does it mean? It means becoming more and more like Jesus. And it doesn't depend only on us, because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. As we open our lives to the Holy Spirit, he can change us from within. Oh, yes, we stumble and fall. All Christians do. But that's not the end of the story, because day by day, the Holy Spirit is working to bring us closer to Jesus. Day by day, is working in our lives, changing us, restoring us, nurturing the new life that he gave when we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's the same for every Christian. God's purpose is a work in progress. Sometimes it may be, seem to be painfully slow, but the only real failure is to give up altogether, and we're not going to do that. So that's what he does now. He works in us to will and to act according to his good pleasure, according to his good purpose, so that we may say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, so that we may live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And self-control is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit can produce that fruit in our lives if we give him the opportunity. So what is he going to do in the future? We've seen what he's done in the past. We've seen what he's doing now. Let me show you verses 13 and 14. We wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great god and savior jesus christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good you know one of the wonderful things about christmas that i was look, used to look forward to as a boy was going to church on christmas day and singing yes lord we greet you born this happy morning and i'm looking forward to it just as much this year, just two sleeps, and then the opportunity to come to church and sing, Yes, Lord, we greet you, born this happy moment, uh, morning. It will be wonderful to greet the Christ child and celebrate his birthday. But you know there's something even better to look forward to? The day when he comes back in glory. And he's promised to do that, and he's going to do that. Because Paul speaks of the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a day that will be. And here's the wonderful thing. It's getting nearer and nearer every moment. It's a wonderful hymn written by Francis Ridley Havergal. You are coming, you are coming. We shall meet you on your way. We shall greet you. We shall show you all our hearts could never say. What an anthem that will be, ringing out our praise to thee. Yes, that day is approaching. It's nearer now than when we first believed, Paul says in Romans chapter 13. So how do we feel about the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? When Jesus returns, how will we feel? After all, he's the one who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify him for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Do you belong to him? Can you say you are one of his very own? Came across a, a remarkable story the other day. Roland Laval was an American chaplain to the YMCA in Paris following the First World War. And he heard that on a given day, King George V of Great Britain would visit Paris. He was going to drive down the Champs-Elysees in state. Now, Roland had grown up in the deep south of the United States, and the very thought of seeing a real king made him tremendously excited. And so early in the morning of the appointed day, he made sure of a good place in the crowd on the Champs-Elysees. After hours seemingly endlessly waiting, he heard somebody shout, The king is coming! And excitement was at fever pitch as the procession passed by, but as soon as it had gone, he felt completely flat. All the thrill of the moment had left him. And he wondered why. Afterwards, he wrote this, The reason I felt nothing was because he wasn't my king. He didn't even know my name. So is Jesus your king? Oh, he wants to be. He knows your name. It's been in his heart since before the creation of the universe. You know, I think these are some of the most thrilling words in the whole Bible. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Those words are more exciting than all the decorations, the crackers, the presents, the Christmas trees, the turkey, and the Christmas pud. More exciting than anything the world could ever provide. But to know that they include you, Jesus must be your king. So today you have a choice. One day, dear friends, you won't have a choice. Because the Bible speaks of a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I have a reputation for quoting old hymns. I'm going to quote a new hymn. My word. What an effect you have had upon me. One day every tongue shall confess you are God. One day every knee shall bow. Still the greatest blessings belong to those who freely choose you now. Have you made your choice? be very sure that you don't leave it too late. Amen.